Hello, and welcome to the CDO Magazine interview series. I'm Aditha Karkera, Chief Data Officer for Deloitte's Government and Public Services, and I'm really excited to welcome here today my good friend and colleague, Dr. Jason Duke, Chief Data Officer for the United States Fish and Wildlife Service. Jason, welcome. Thank you, Aditha. Jason, it's so nice to get in touch again here as we're doing the interview, and I'm really looking forward to our discussion, especially to kind of understand more on what your current priorities are. But first, let's just get started by talking a little bit about how your CDO office is situated within your organization. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the roles and responsibilities that fall under your office so the audience understands uh, the situation of your role. Sure. The Fish and Wildlife Service Chief Data Officer is an Associate Chief Data Officer reports to the department's CDO position. So the CDO position at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, which I'll call the service, reports into the IRTM, which is the Information Resources Management Program, which is the IT program, for lack of a better way to say it. And so we report up through the CIO at the Fish and Wildlife Service. So the Chief Data Officer oversees a data governance board, which is an eight-member board that pulls from all programs throughout the Fish and Wildlife Service. And then we have a data science committee which is formed of data professionals and people that are common and frequent data users throughout the Fish and Wildlife Service. And that data science committee advises the data governance board and then the chief data officer leads the data governance board. So as CDO, I work on anything from think of all things data, anything from metadata to catalogs, to repositories, to data management plans, to data sharing agreements, to with other agencies and bureaus and non-government organizations and public entities, and think of anything that can go wrong with or successes with data. And that's kind of what I own in my job. Well, that's fascinating, Jason. I'm, I'm Every time I talk to a CDO, you know, I hear a lot of similarities in their role, but I also always hear like slightly different um, differences between each organization. So you talked about this data science group that you have and the data governance uh, board that you have. Can you expand a little bit more about uh, the focus areas for both of these entities within the organization? The data governance board is comprised of senior staff and leaders in the organization. So in some instances, you'll have a group that's made up of subject matter experts. And that group knows everything that should happen, but that group does not have the power to implement the decisions that should be made. And so our data governance boards made up of senior leaders who then are advised by the data science committee. The data science committee is made up of almost a hundred staff throughout the Fish and Wildlife Service. So in the past, we might have comprised five, six, seven, or 10 different committees to work on anything from training to workshops to standards to handbooks, et cetera. So we concatenated all those into a data science committee. So you have one large committee that breaks up into smaller sub teams, and they will go and they will research anything from data sharing agreements to contract language to any semantic differences in terminology for what a data steward is versus a data owner. And the data science committee, in essence, is the research arm of the data governance board. And then the chief data officer serves as the chair of the data governance board. Thank you for sharing those details, Jason. Um, again, fascinating to hear how um, an organization like yours is still having a continuous focus on research as well as governance. Um, now, one of the major challenges I hear from most of the CDOs I talk to is around data governance, because 
the type of data that you deal with, uh, the higher the governance challenges around it. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about any of the current data governance challenges that you are particularly focused on overcoming? Challenges for data governance often get into, for us, policies and standards. And an example of that would be policies typically are only looked at when someone's in trouble or someone wants to do something or stop something. And so for governance, you require good policies and you require effective standards. All of us work places that have standards that are pretty much out of date. And in data, it seems you have to keep these standards reviewed and updated rather frequently. For example, with policies, you would have a policy in place that might say that you should produce data that has metadata and is stored in an approved repository. However, who goes and looks at that? People always ask their friend or their scientist on what to do. And then that leads to governance issues because you could be storing data all over the place other than where you should. And then also right now, of course, we have multiple presidential memos, executive orders, uh, different acts and legislation that kind of add complexity to the mix and makes it rather hard to govern data. And a neat thing about the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is our professional staff and conservation staff and biologists are so intelligent that they think of 9,000 different ways to solve the same problem. And it seems the more educated some people are, the more they want to work their way instead of the way that you should. And this happens everywhere, not just with us. And so for governance, you have to make governance to where the person doing the work feels like they are contributing to a larger collective that they're going to also get something back out of. So governance is just a really effective way for us to be able to track what we collect and to find it and to have standards that keep it all at a very high level of quality. So governance is a very big challenge because the more people you have, the more issues you can have for effective governance. So well said, uh, Jason. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear this a lot and it ultimately also comes down to a culture shift, right? You know, um, which again is a key role for the CDOs here. What, what has your experience been in trying to change that culture in government and especially uh, in your organization to getting everyone in the organization to have a more data first mindset and bringing about that culture shift? Now, the culture change, you hear it at any conference or workshop you go to these days, and a lot of folks tend to blow that off. But that's actually the number one issue that I work with. For example, we have around 9,000 staff. So we have thousands of biologists, ecologists, et cetera, who were trained at a multitude of universities all around the world. And so a lot of these are masters or PhD level staff, and they learned how to collect data for their project. And they learned it in a multitude of ways. And so the culture they have is not always one that you can mesh together. Now, not just at our bureau, but around the world, I hear stories of people that are data hoarders or people that are worried about sharing data that might get them in trouble or might have errors in it. And then you have folks that are very open with all data. Then you have folks that may be closed in data. And so culture change is trying to get everyone to see that if we work together, we can do better for the resources that we protect. And so the staff value data already. That's a no-brainer. They already see the importance of that. But the culture is, is to put it in a common collective place. For example, you might want to produce just discovery level metadata. And yet I'm wanting to produce archival level, level metadata that has 516 attributes 
and following a DCAT 3 strategy where you might be following DCAT 1-1 one, one and just trying to do the bare minimum of what you've got to going on. And so for culture, you have to show you need to go above and beyond the bare minimum because the bare minimum doesn't always capture the rich depth that we need. And so for data culture, the way I sell it's this. All of us go to work somewhere that we feel that we make a good contribution to. You're really working for a paycheck, but you want to work somewhere where you're really happy, where you feel like your work matters and you make a difference. And you may work somewhere 5, 10, 15, 20 years, maybe even 30 years. So when you go to retire after, say, a 32, 35-year career somewhere, which is hard to find these days, but if you do that, the work you do, you know, when you retire, that retirement party is over and everybody's done been in your office and taking your stapler and your three hole punch and all your, you got a better chair than me. What about all that data that you collected? You know, think about the current generation where you work and the future employees and think about the wealth of knowledge that you've worked so hard to gather and produce. And so for culture change, I try to sell the fact that you want your work, all the knowledge that you've produced and collected and gained and information you've processed, you want that to go somewhere so you can live on, right? So your peers can use the knowledge you've done. And so, but that requires a culture change in data management. And the other culture change issue we look at is if you look in the COVID endemic days, you have a lot of staff who are working remote, who may be working from home a few days a week, who might work in an office in city A today and city B next week. So no longer are you just sitting on the same desktop or laptop every day. You have to have a very mobile workforce. And that mobile workforce has to adopt a culture of data that can be easily shared, moved, and transferred across the country, across the world, different levels, different boundaries for security. And it's always hard to access from a cell phone to a tablet to a laptop. And that culture also used to be based off of, this is my laptop, this is my desktop. And that data culture requires an openness that we've never seen before. Great call outs, Jason. I mean, uh, the pandemic really got a shift in how we think about where we're working from, for sure. Um, another thing that you touched on that caught my attention, Jason, was um, something around how your workforce is skilled to be able to understand and deal with that data. When you're talking about uh, being able to understand what's in front of you. And that brings about the topic of data literacy and data fluency or data acumen, however you want to call it. Uh, what are your thoughts in that space? I know that's another topic that comes up a lot as I talk to CDOs on how they are uh, focused on leveraging uh, uh, data literacy programs as they think about creating a positive data culture. So curious to know your thoughts on that. One of the first major successes I was able to have in the chief data officer role was we updated a 12-year-old data management policy that was vastly out of date. And like I mentioned earlier, policies are rarely read by the average staff at any agency, private entity, state office, whatever. And so what we did was we worked to produce a data handbook, and that's helping our literacy to explain it. In matter of fact, it's about a 120-page document that walks through anything from how to make tidy data as far as how to create a data management plan, where your data goes, how to create metadata, how those are used how to do different field data collection types and to be able to get those assimilated into an easy to find and use place. 
And so for data literacy, and the thing too, sometimes you'll speak to the smartest person at your organization, but that person might not understand data management and they don't want to be talked to in a way that may feel that demeans their intellectual ability. So our data management handbook is what you might call a cookbook or a guidebook to be able to start from the most simple ways of doing data management all the way to the most complex, because you got to remember for data literacy, most people, when they hear data management, they're thinking of, are you backing up the files on my computer? That's what the average person that doesn't understand data thinks. And so for data literacy, for us, it's that step of not just telling you what to do, but telling you how to do it. And our data management handbook was written by over 100 people and over the years from all walks of life to try to give laypersons terminology for how to do data management. And then for data literacy, too, you know, data is not something that everybody gets excited about every day and gets all, yay, go data and stuff like that. So for us, for data literacy, we do a lot of work in onboarding and, and well, also offboarding. But for onboarding, all of our new employees, we have a wonderful SharePoint site. It's kept up to date. It's fresh. It has all the information on there. But folks have to be able to find it, right? And so for all of our onboarding employees, we produced a nice one-pager document that gives all the resources to go to for online trainings, which are YouTube-ish like style trainings or just videos that we record or things that we've put together. So they've got online trainings. They've got how to get a question answered. They've got a link. They can send any question they've got to to get help on and the handbook and all the basic resources. And that's really slowly helping us make a difference in literacy because you've got to get the information materials out there, but you've got to do it in a way that staff will want to approach those and not feel like you're demeaning their intelligence by saying you just don't get data management. With that, thank you so much, Jason, for joining us. And for the audience, please continue to see other interviews at cdomagazine.tech.